Welcome back to the Drake Basketball Podcast. Eduardo, I was hoping to be more excited about this episode, but unfortunately our Bulldogs fell at Northern Iowa, 91 to 77, and I'm still recovering, to be honest. Yeah, it's really nice that Drake is really good and they win three quarters of their games because it's such a bummer to record a podcast after a loss, truthfully. (laughs) Saturday uh, was not a fun experiment. I'll kick us off with a question for you that kind of, I feel like, sets the tone for how the game went or how we're going to break this down. What were you most frustrated with on Saturday? The Drake offense or the Drake defense? Dramatic pause. The Drake defense, because Our offense, I felt, was mainly bad due to missed shots. Drake was getting open looks, especially on the three-point line. And we were getting good looks for good shooters, too. You know, I mean, we have KO is like a 36% three-point shooter. And he was 0 of 6 from 3 and 1 from 9 from the field. So it's like, I'm 100% fine with him taking those shots. I'm going to give him the ball there every time. Shots just weren't falling. It was a tough road environment. So that is completely understandable. The defensive effort was bad. The rotations weren't where they needed to be. You and I was getting a lot of easy buckets. Um, and then that combined with a really, really lackluster rebounding effort. Drake was out rebounded in this game, 42 to 28, and gave up 11 offensive rebounds. So even when they were getting stops, you and I was then getting buckets on second chances. So yeah, for me, it's the defensive end. How about you? I agree. I thought we, we played a pretty... <sighs> lackluster offensive game but all things considered you know probably good enough to take a win on the road if you play to your defensive uh, capabilities and drake you know they had a a really tough time with you and i and you know you can give credit to you and i in that basically their entire all their starters had really good games Nate Heisey and, and Titan Anderson and Boehm Bourne and even Jacob Hudson stepping out and hitting three threes on this one. So they got contributions from their top five. They got contributions off the bench from Landon Wolf. Uh, so they played well. It just felt like we had no idea how to defend ball screens with their guards. And we had no idea how to get bodies on guys going for offensive rebounds. I mean, we did a horrible job boxing out. You know, Brody had a had a rough game in that he just wasn't a factor. Offensively, defensively, just his presence was not felt. And for your fifth-year senior starting center uh, who, who has had a really good season overall, just really disappointing to see on the road. If you can be glass half full, I will say that you know, even with the poor poor shooting on the wide open threes, even with the blown assignments, even with the bad offensive rebound, I still felt with seven, eight minutes left that Drake probably still had enough left in the tank to try to steal a win on the road. But it was the offensive rebounding. Like, good God, we cannot get one. And I thought Tucker did a good job getting us back in it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the Indiana State game and in that, you know, we're kind of in a hole and Tucker just said, all right, I'm just going to Superman it. 
put us in a position to maybe steal the win. But the big difference between the Indiana State game and this one was like after we did that, we were able to get into our offense and start moving the ball and just be more effective in controlling the game. And then in this one, it never really reverted back. You know, we kind of were asking Tucker to do everything. And then that led to, you know, he's not boxing out or he's being left caught on a screen. And then Nate Heisey gets a wide open three. So Oh, just a rough game. Just a rough game. Like, I don't even know where to start with how bad the defense was. Like, it's kind of hard to explain and juxtapose with the first game and now the second game. Like you mentioned, we struggled a lot with their ball screens for whatever reason. We tried really hard to chase Bowen Bourne over the top of those. And to be fair, there were quite a few screens uh, from you and I players that involved a little bit of movement from the person setting the screen. And I saw a lot of Drake fans taking note of that on Twitter, but we just were having a really tough time keeping pace for whatever reason. And the rotations then got out of whack as help defenders tried to slide over. And it was just a nightmare all night long, to be frank. And you touched on this momentarily. Jacob Hudson going three for four from three after making one three on the year leading up to this game. That was such a game changer because not only is that nine points from a from a source you don't expect, but also it threw off the way that we were guarding their big men. All of a sudden, Darnell feels like he has to step out and he's got freaking Ravi Avila out there instead right. of a guy who's made a three on the year. It just it felt like that sort of got us off on the wrong foot. Right. And and Jacob Hudson, like he's familiar to Drake Bulldogs fans. You know, he used to play at Loyola and obviously now at UNI. And he's always had like a little bit of range, but not to the tune of let me step out and go three for four from three. So it's almost kudos to Ben Jacobson for saying, all right, guys, you know what Drake really struggles with when short guards score a lot and when big men can really stretch out the floor and and hit three. So let's do that tonight. And, you know, you and I executed perfectly. So definitely, like I said, you know, the contributions that they got, everyone, every one of their players that play a role on that team had a really good game. Um, and I don't think we did really anything to deter it. Ty Anderson was a beast on the offensive glass. We just had no no answer. Like to the point where Coach DeBreeze tried a lineup that I don't think I've ever seen. I've never seen him run this out. He was playing with four guards and Tucker DeBreeze as the small ball five. And that didn't really even make sense to me because at that point we were getting just outworked on the glass. And so it was very counterintuitive to me to say, well, let's go small and see what happens because it just it just exacerbated the issue. Uh, only lasted a couple minutes with the experiment. But yeah, we never found the right rotations and we kind of got into several eight point ten hole deficits and we kept climbing out of it. And then the last one was just too much. And and then the last six, seven minutes, like, holy cow, did, did the game kind of get away from the roughs? They were calling every single contact like oh my god i you know i was watching the game with with my brother-in-law and i kept saying like why even shoot a three like just drive it every single time they were mm-hmm. calling literally every drive was a foul so i'm like what are we doing just drive it every time uh so yeah just ugly game and uh you and i got us they finally got us and i almost texted you and i i can't <laughs> believe i didn't text you because i i almost did and said mockingly do you think they're gonna storm the court which was <laughs> which was an obvious joke because you and I 
It's a good mid-major program. And yes, Drake has been really good the past five years, but it was truthfully a joke. And then to see their fans storm the court, I mean, I guess that just means we've made it as a program, right? Dude, I was in shambles after the game. And uh, then Dick McCargar tweeted that out, the picture of them storming the court. And it finally put a smile back on my face. I mean, it's bizarre. Like, it, it is bizarre for them to storm the court. And yeah, we've we've owned them the last three years, a seven of eight going into the game. We did confirm it's seven of eight, uh, now seven of nine. So yeah, we've owned them the last three years. Drake's been a really good program, like I said, the last five years. But to storm the court, again, I guess it means we're really good because uh, we got that kind of reaction from their, from their student section. <laughs> and not blaming this loss on the refs at all. You and I was the better team on Saturday. But yeah, the officiating was very bad, like up there for some of the worst I've seen this season. And I wonder how much that has to do with scheduling, because you know that the Valley intentionally schedules games on Wednesdays and Sundays a lot because there's not as much pull on the higher quality refs. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously Saturday night is a huge night for college basketball. And I didn't recognize all the guys who were on the crew for this game. And I was trying to, because, you know, then I'd have someone to get riled up about, you know, if it's Kelly Self out there, like, oh, Kelly Self, you son of a... <laughs> but instead, I was like, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, the refs, uh, the the ticky-tack fouls and just the weird calls that kept happening didn't help on a night oh, that were, oh. where we had no flow. Speaking of weird calls, dude, that was bizarre on the first Hudson 3, the one he threw up as the clock was expiring, and they stopped it, and you could see the ball is in his hand. The light is off. It's zero zero on the clock. And then they went to the board. They reviewed it, and they said, "Yep, that's good." <laughs> uh, that didn't help either. You mentioned the rebounding advantage. You and I, forty-two rebounds to Drake's twenty-eight. The first time around, Drake out rebounded you and I, thirty-eight to thirty-one. So you see kind of the difference there. Allowing ninety-one points to you and I is just. I'm sorry, it's just kind of unfathomable. Like, it's all, it's unbelievable that we played that poorly on defense. Because at the end of the day, like, shots aren't falling. Kevin Overton had a, had a really rough game. We didn't shoot well from three, even though we had been rolling going into that game. But you can still control effort. You can still control your defense. You can still control rebounding. And, and we definitely did not do that at all. Uh, one of the bright spots I'll throw out, I thought Kobe Garland was was really good. Probably his best offensive game of the season, just attacking the basketball and, and really took a lot of Connor's minutes because he was being so aggressive and, and effective. And he was kind of the only guy, aside from Tucker, that was in a really good rhythm. The Kevin Overton miss wide open threes were just so frustrating just because we know he can knock those down and to just see him miss like wide open three after wide open three like he's like Thabo Cephalosha was so frustrating because he is a good shooter and unfortunately on this night you and I kind of said all right well we got to live with some guys getting wide open threes and unfortunately KO didn't knock them down on Saturday yeah we we talked so much about how he doesn't play like a freshman and you know, I mean, this is a spot where we did see a little bit more of a freshman look. You're playing on the road against an arch rival, heated crowd. And sometimes those wide open threes can be harder to hit than the contested threes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because like there's an expectation that you hit the open ones. And when there's a hand there, you don't think about it quite as much. And we've seen over the past few games, like KO has hit some really long, deep contested threes and he's made it look mm-hmm. easy. And so, 
yeah, it was a little bit frustrating as a Drake fan just watching last night, especially since it was against you and I. But that's just sort of the way the whole night felt. Um, the bounces continue not to go our way. And I have to say this again, because this is just going to sound like we're making excuses, talking about bounces and fouls. And mm-hmm. <laughs> But there were quite a few bad misses from you and I that turned from bricks or air balls into passes. Titan Anderson would be on the weak side and we'd have box out position everywhere else, but it would just sort of turn into a direct pass <laughs> to him. <laughs> Yeah, there. Were, I mean, there were several of those for sure. Uh, I think the argument to be made, you know, in you and I's favor is they were giving such effort every freaking rebound, mm-hmm. where eventually they would be rewarded with with those offensive boards, and it was so frustrating because Drake would finally get a stop, get a good defensive possession, and then it just falls on Tyden Anderson's hands for like an and one. Uh, so it was frustrating. Uh, to be honest, like. I think offensively, we probably played very similar to what we did the first game. So I think from that standpoint, that's kind of disappointing that you kind of haven't played a very good offensive game against you and I in your in your two meetings. It was really the defense that was like, what the hell happened? But was there anything that you saw from an adjustment standpoint that stood out from game one, the win in Des Moines versus game two at Cedar Falls? Sure. Yeah. I mean, game one, Trey Campbell was the bright spot on their offense. He went off in the absence of Bowen Bourne and Jacob Hudson, from what I remember, I don't actually have the box score in front of me, but didn't do overly much. In this game, Bourne and Hudson both made a huge impact on the game. Bourne forcing our guards to chase him around screens all day, knocking down shots from deep, uh, using his quickness to get to the hoop. I think he finished with 16 points. And then obviously, like we talked about with Hudson, stretching the D, forcing Brody out of his defensive comfort zone. Like we said, going into the game, this was going to be a different team from the one we played in Des Moines. But on the bright side, now that Darren has had a look at what they look like in that configuration of you and I against our team, I fully expect us, if we see them for a third time in St. Louis, I expect us to look a lot better. Like you mentioned, uh, Hudson, just looking it up, only had four points in Des Moines, pretty much a non-factor, 14 points uh, on this one on Saturday night. No bone born on that first matchup, this time 16, as you mentioned. And even though he was only 5 of 13, I, I felt like all of his buckets were just like timely buckets or big momentum swings. So he definitely had an impact on the game. And you heard it on the DBP. We knew Bourne was going to have a big game against Drake. He Maybe he didn't go off for 30, but definitely impactful and and like you said now we got to see them you know on a on the full roster and i think the key is just controlling the pain and controlling the rebounds i think in des moines we did a really good job of that you know we didn't really get let anyone going inside the lane and so then that turned into all right can you beat us with your three-point shooting and i don't think that's you and i specialty at all and that's why we pulled away in des moines a very different game on Saturday in Cedar Falls. Just a huge bummer to come up short like that. Do you want to get into what this means as far as MVC title race or what it means for Drake's at-large bid? Yeah, so obviously Drake is now a game back of Indiana State with two games remaining. Indiana State's final two games are at Evansville and at home against Murray State. They could lose both of those. I don't think that they probably will. So one game back, two games left. You can do the math there. Drake obviously has to to win out to have a chance to catch up. And uh, in terms of 
at large bids, it surprisingly didn't hurt us in bracketology as much as I thought it would because literally every other bubble team also lost that night. So if you look at Joe Lenardi's breakdown, Drake is still listed as, I think, the next four out. So not the last four out, but the next four out in that uh, group of eight teams sort of on the outside of his bubble. Outside of uh, Joe Lenardi's world, I would guess we won't make it if we uh, don't win the tournament. I agree with that. I think, as you said, now that the dust has settled, the at-large hopes took not as bad of a hit as I thought we were going to take. Some of the losses from some other bubble teams kind of kept us around the same level. As you know, Michael Admire pointed out on Twitter, Drake is 5-4 and four in Q1 and Q2. At least two more opportunities for quad two wins with Bradley uh, coming up at the end of the year. And again, if you make it to the semis, you assume you're going to get another quad two opportunity there. Uh, but I'm with you. You have to win the, t- the tournament now. I, if I could put a percentage on it, I feel like if we would have lost the NBC title on Sunday, I would have put Drake's chances of getting in if we would have won out and beat you and I probably at around like 55, 60%. So essentially a coin flip. And I feel like with the you and I laws, we're probably down to like a 35, 40%, which is not the side you want to be on when you're a mid-major. No, but on the bright side, it does tell this Drake team exactly what they have to do. Whereas before it might've been a goal to win Arch Madness to make the NCAA tournament. Now it feels like it's pretty much a necessity. I, I mean, I agree. I was asked, what does the loss mean on Saturday? And I said, well, it means we're not going to get a share of the NBC regular season title. How much value you put on that it's kind of up to you, I guess. And more importantly, it very much likely means we have to win the NBC tournament to be uh, in March Madness. That's just how it is now, unfortunately. I felt good if we won out and made it to Sunday that our chances would have still been pretty good and that could have been plan B. But I don't think there's any plan B. I think there's still plan A. Still a lot of things that can happen in terms of the bubble, but it's not a secure thing. So you have to win Arch Madness to get in for sure. And I would keep in mind, I guess I would put it this way, Um, in terms of gauging the importance of a regular season title. Darren DeVries' teams have lost games in the final week of the season three times in his tenure at Drake that would have secured a portion of the regular season Valley Championship. And people don't really remember that at all. Like, at least I don't. Like, I remember losing at Bradley twice, and I'll remember Mm -hmm. this when I lost. But... It doesn't affect how I think of the program and Drake's trajectory as a whole. I mean, what people remember is the NCAA tournament. And if Drake is able to win Arch Madness and make it back for the third time in four years, they're going to be remembered as the team that won the Valley. Right. It's it's kind of a, a weird statistical quirk, you know, for Coach Debris that, you know, as good as he's been at the helm and as good as Drake's been over the past few years that, you know, that we haven't won an outright NBC regular season title and that we've only claimed a share once. But again, it doesn't mean it gets you in. So how important is it, right? I think the importance has to be winning 
Arch Madness and making sure you're peaking at the right time. And going into the UNI game, I would have told you I felt very good about peaking at the right time. And I wasn't surprised with UNI's effort and how much they treated that game with such importance. They were definitely the more aggressive team, the team with the more with more energy. I was surprised that we didn't handle it better. I thought we would handle that atmosphere better than we did, but but that's okay. As as you reference, you know, we've had bad losses in the final week of the NBC season and still bounced back and had really strong Arch Madness showings. And hopefully this just serves as a reminder of what happens when you take your foot off the gas and that uh, this team's calling card is is always defense. I think that's what gets lost about the Darren DeBreeze era is that that's what we do best. And then we have we've had really impactful offensive players to get the job done. But it's it's always been defense first, at least from my standpoint. And for Drake fans listening, I have one thing to remind you, and that is that we always play our best coming off of losses. So coming off a loss right now with two games left in the regular season in the tournament ahead of us, I'm fine taking that for the larger goal. And in regards to the stat you mentioned for just, you know, casual power five college basketball fans who are listening, you know, maybe looking for a future head coach. I mean, do you want a guy who can only win a share of the Valley once in six years? Doesn't sound like much of a head coach to me. You need a proven power five coach. That's what I'm saying. How about you, Eduardo? I mean, I agree. I mean, last I checked, Brian Wardle has claimed a regular season title. Coach the Breeze has not. So I think you need to start there. Any coaching search. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wardle. Now there's a coach. That you guy. talk leadership, aggression. Those are the two words that come to mind when I think of Brian Wardle. A good, strong, masculine coach who wins the masculine way. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> God, it sucks uh, losing to you and I. But <laughs> just to summarize that whole that yeah. whole uh, on, that whole segment. See, on the bright side for you and I fans, they've been mediocre for so long now. No one even talks about taking their coach anymore. <laughs> uh, and we don't have to worry about Coach the Breeze going to you and I because why would he go to a downgrade program? That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Like that could have been a legitimate fear when he when he first took the job. Like he played there, maybe he would be interested in coaching you and I. Is like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. All right, should we get into UIC? Yeah, let's do it to it. Next up on the road, uh, we have the UIC Flames. UIC is 11 and 18 overall, four and 14 in conference. Their season highlight came when they knocked off the Loyola Ramblers in Gentile Arena a team that currently sits atop the A-10 standings. In conference play, their victories have come against Northern Iowa, Illinois State, Valpo, and Evansville. So this is a team that has had some scores that are closer than you would expect, but overall has had a pretty down year. And I I have to take the hit there because when Eduardo and I were doing our preseason Valley episode, I thought they were going to be a lot better than they are this year. I looked like a genius for the first two weeks of the season uh, when they were off to their hot start, but very much a team that has fallen off as of late. That being said, they don't seem to be losing any aggression or belief in what they do over there. Luke Yaklich 
is very much a defensive first coach. And I looked it up and they're like 120th in the country, I think, in terms of scoring defense. They only allow 70 points per game, which for context, Drake allows an average of 69.7 points a game. So if things hold true, Drake should be able to pull out the 0.3 point win. <laughs> UIC, they they had a good non-conference. You know, granted, it wasn't just like littered with very flashy flashy teams but as you mentioned i mean they they took down loyola and by the way is it genteel or gentile arena you know now we're gonna have god why do we have a person's name i think it's genteel but again now we're gonna have loyola fans coming at us first it was (laughs) evansville now it's gonna be loyola um but yeah they took down loyola yeah, Eduardo Eduardo is the one with the family Loyola connections here. You're the Closet Rambler fan in this podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and trust your knowledge. We'll go with Gentile. I... <laughs> so they took down Loyola on the road, uh, obviously their best win of the non-conference. They also lost to Cincinnati just by 11 on the road. Also took down Middle Tennessee and George Washington. So, so yeah, I mean, their non-conference was solid, promising. They just have not been able to get it going uh, in conference play. Uh, I think kind of what you alluded to, I think it, it is just, they don't, they tend not to have the offense. You know, they'll play hard, they'll play defense, but they just don't seem to have the horses to hang with some of the, the better offensive teams in the Valley. That being said, I kind of expect something very similar to what we got last year, uh, which was Drake going into overtime to pull it out in Chicago. I think it's going to be scrappy and ugly, but Drake's going to pull away in the end. I don't think they'll go into overtime, but I think it's going to be like a six, eight point win. The only way that, you know, we kind of pop off a little bit is I think kind of what you said, you know, we tend to play really well off of a loss. So we might come out a little bit more focused, but I mean, I'm not trying to take a shot at Valpo or at UIC, but there is something to be said about just mentally not getting so amped up when you're playing like in a high school type arena, right? Like, I feel like that is a factor when you, when you play in some of these games. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but UIC isn't a high school arena. It's decently sized. It's just a high school feel, com- I should say. It's completely empty. Yeah, I've I've been there before. I'll be I'll be there for this one as well. But their games typically there. I would imagine there will be more Drake fans than UIC fans there, especially with the uh, alumni presence for Drake in the Chicagoland area. So, yeah, that's a better way to describe it. I, I apologize to all of our UIC listeners if I insulted the size of your arena, but it's always just no fans, no atmosphere. And yeah, it's just... It always feels uh, just different whenever Drake plays at like a Valpo or a UIC. And yeah, it's it's been ugly whenever we play at UIC. That just seems to always be the trend. I hope we come out with a little bit more focus. What stands out to you when you break down the flames? Well, this is a chance for us to work on our rebounding woes because they are horrific on the glass. They're tied for 364th in Division One, in terms of overall rebounding per game, pulling down 33 boards. So that's a chance for us to get right on the glass. From a scoring standpoint, they're led by guard Isaiah Rivera, and it's going to be key that we put the brakes on him. He's 6'5", 210 pounds, so he's a bigger guard, 
Um, but he can also shoot from the outside because he shoots, I believe, uh, just a little over 40% from three. With his size, I would have to guess that we'll put KO on him. But I don't know. What do you think? Are you saying we're going to bust out again our our secret Connor Connor on a on a taller yeah. guard uh, matchup because I hope we don't I hope we don't I feel like the trend this year on the DBP is for you and I to say are we going to put KO on this guy we should put KO on this guy <laughs> and then Coach Debris says not so fast my <laughs> friends <laughs> uh, no I think it should be KO um, you know when you look down. UIC's roster, it's three guys that score the ball. It's Isaiah Rivera, it's CJ Jones, and it's Toby Okani. Like, uh, and really, it's Isaiah and CJ that, you know, they're big physical guards. They shoot it. They shoot it well, as you said. CJ only takes a couple threes a game, um, so not so much of a, of a volume three-point shooter as Isaiah Rivera, but also can hit it at a good clip over 40%. So it's really those two guys. It's how do you stop their two guards from getting going, from being physical, going downhill? Uh, I think if you contain them, I think you have a really good shot at winning the game. Yeah. And what's the deal with Marquise Kennedy? Oh, he was injured uh, for a stretch in the season. I don't think he's re- recovered his starting spot after that. Uh, he's played in 24 games so far this season and averaging just 15 minutes a game. So, I have truthfully, I haven't followed UIC basketball super closely. I know he was starting to start out the year, then he got hurt. And I think he's just been off the bench ever since. Uh, but definitely someone that you thought would be more of an impact player for the Flames, uh, but just averaging 4.8 points per game. That's bizarre because I remember watching them play Loyola and he was their best player. Like every right. time they gave him the ball, he'd either create or get fouled, knock down free throws. And the fact that he's such a no-show for the rest of the season has been kind of weird to witness. Right. And and like I just mentioned, it's not like the Flames are just littered with offensive options. You know, it's a team mm. that struggles to score. So kind of strange. Also, also an odd thing that I noticed, like he has shot 14 threes all season. And I know he wasn't necessarily DJ Wilkins, but that number also caught me by, by surprise of like, I thought he shot it a little bit and Seems like he's had a, a weird, unproductive year. So if we have any UIC Flames listening to the pod, please uh, enlighten us on kind of what's what's been going on with Marquise Kennedy and, and why he hasn't hasn't been a, an impact player for the Flames this season. Yeah, hit up our tip hotline. And tell us who Kevin Overton should guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, in terms of predictions for this one, I'm on the same page as you. I do not see this as a blowout in any way, shape, or form. For us, hopefully not the other way either. I would predict we'll probably win by five or six um, just because watching Drake's games under DeVries against UIC, uh, at least in like the past year or so, they've been tough, hard-fought affairs. We went into overtime with them last year, and that was with our all-world, all-senior lineup. So I anticipate that this will probably be a pretty close one. They've got some size and athleticism. You mentioned Toby Okani. He's an athletic force inside. He can finish off oops. Pretty good rim protector. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not even going to say that. I mean, that's just that's horrible analysis. It'll be interesting to see what happens. No shit, it will be. Great, <laughs> close, great close there, Tugger. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and I mean, truthfully, I wouldn't put this, not only is it, you know, if you're making fun of saying it's interesting, I, I would put it on very high on the unsexy games of the night for the Valley. Like, I don't think this is going to be <laughs> a super fun watch, honestly. Uh, I think it's going to be ugly. It's going to be, they're going to muck it up, and they somehow tend to do that, and then we tend to come out with the win, so... Yeah, I think six or eight points for Drake is what I envision. I think a, a nice, you know, 76 to 68 win uh, on the road. And I think we take it and that officially locks up the the two seed for Drake. And then we can start thinking about closing out the year with a nice win over Bradley. I'm always happy to close out the year with a nice win over Bradley. And we don't have to go super in-depth on the opponent after UIC because we're very familiar with them. But Drake does... Close out the regular season with a game in Des Moines, Iowa at the NEP Center against the Bradley Braves. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, unless Indiana State drops one on Wednesday or I guess on Sunday, looks like they'll have the MVC title wrapped up. So I think for Drake, you know, the Bradley game really is just about maintaining good momentum, you know, keeping Bradley kind of at bay of maybe not feeling great about playing Drake at Arch Madness. Bradley has gotten Drake at, at the end of the regular season a couple times over the last few years. Um, so hopefully we can return the favor. The thing about Bradley, and I, I say this all the time when, when we talk about them, like they seem to really, really get amped up for Drake. So I can expect that they'll come out with a lot of energy and also considering Drake's going to come into that, what are we at, 20 consecutive wins at home or 21, something like that. So you know that they'll be amped up to give us our only home loss of the season. Expecting Bradley to come out with, with a lot of energy, they're always amped up. And then also I think the thing that I would be most curious to see just from how game one went against Bradley, how they adjust to Brody. Brody was massive in that game, and and really Bradley had no answer for that just roll to the rim. You know, we hit Brody and Ferguson so many times in that game. Uh, so just interesting to see how they adapt to that action in particular. Uh, but everything else, I mean, it's it's weird because they know what we're running, we know what they're running, and we kind of know you know, what we have to take away and they know what they have to take away. So it's a matter of who's going to execute better. What What are you looking forward to uh, for that Sunday matchup? For me, both of the regular season games have to be Brody games. Because I think that this team's performance is going to be dependent upon how Brody plays the rest of the way out. Because he's been extremely good this season overall. But we've seen a few spots here and there where maybe he doesn't get as fired up as you'd expect. Like against Northern Iowa, he just he looked sort of tired um, and he only played 19 minutes. So it couldn't just be like physical fatigue. But I think Brody is one of those players who's very much at his best when he's fully engaged, motivated, ready to go. And I know we commented on this on an earlier podcast, too, but. When you can get him involved in the action and scoring early, the rest of his game skyrockets. And so I think in both of these final games, we need to get him the ball inside. We need to make sure he's scoring early and often, just because that's going to then elevate his level of play for the rest of the game. And we're going to need a Darnell Brody that's firing on all cylinders if we're going to win Arch Madness. Yeah, especially, you know, it's not not only the scoring and and even his defense and rebounding, which was not the best against you and I, but 
his passing has not been to the level level that it has been earlier in the season. And that is such a difference maker for Drake. And I think teams have kind of figured out that you can't let Brody just hang out with the ball from the elbow because he's gonna he does have good vision and good touch. So he'll he'll see the court and and make some really good passes. So I think teams have kind of figured out, hey, you gotta get up on him. You gotta swipe at the ball and Drake has to adapt to that and they have to figure out how to still make Brody effective if teams are defending him like that. Cause when he was playing point center, I mean, Drake looks so dangerous for lots of stretches this season where, where Brody has, has been such an integral part of how we move the ball and how he finds cutters, uh, how he works with Tucker on those handoffs and, and on those little pick and roll actions. So so yeah, I agree. To me, you know, these next two games hopefully are good vibes games. Like you want to get into Arch Madness on on a high note. You want to get into a go into the tournament with a good rhythm and get guys that had a rough game against you and I just better mentally. And I think the Bradley game is a perfect opportunity. Bradley is going to be the currently third and most likely going to be the three seed coming into Arch Madness. So, so yeah, that'll be a quality opponent, a team that you have to be ready for, a team that is not just going to go into the last game of the regular season kind of mailing it in. It'll be the opposite. And I think that's kind of what you need as a tune-up uh, to Arch Madness. In terms of the top four seeding right now, it looks like it's going to be Indiana State, Drake, Bradley, and then the battle is going to be over that four seed because right now Southern Illinois has a one-game lead over the rest of the competition, but they close out their season with two tough games. They have to play at Bradley and then at home against Northern Iowa. So it's still very much up for grabs because Belmont and Northern Iowa are just a game back from them. And these last two games are going to have huge implications for the final scheduling at Arch Madness. And obviously none of these teams want to play that playing game on Thursday night. They want to be on Friday with fresh legs, ready to make a run at the championship. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Southern Illinois is only a game back from Bradley, correct? Yep. Yeah, so Southern Illinois kind of controls its own destiny. If they were able to shock Bradley, Bradley will be favored in that game. Uh, but then Bradley closes out with Drake too. So there's a there's a world or there's a scenario where Bradley can go 0 and 2 and Southern Illinois can go 2 and 0 and even steal the third the third seed. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Bradley's going to take care of business at home and and like you said go 1 2 3 should be set and I think Southern Illinois will claim that fourth spot. Not to be a a bad loser, but I hope so because I'd rather see Northern Iowa stuck in the playing game since they beat us. <laughs> yeah. Bradley at home will be a fun one to close. We we haven't gotten that. You know, we've had to play Bradley at Bradley uh, to close out the year a few times now. So it'll be good to get them at the nap. And, and like I said, let's close out the regular season undefeated at home. I mean, I think that's cool. Uh, absolutely. That's really hard to do. Yeah, I'd be into that. All right. Well, before we leave, we should probably talk about some national basketball news that may have a Drake connection. Creighton is rumored to be finalizing an extension with head coach Greg McDermott, which would rule him out for the Ohio State opening, which, if you know, you know, uh, great news for Drake fans. I like that news. I think Creighton should lock up Greg McDermott to a 30-year contract. Um, yes. I'm all for that, you know. 
like you said, who who wants a coach that hasn't won a regular season MVC title? You know, just we we love Coach the Breeze and uh, we just want him to stay here for as long as possible. Uh, but all kidding aside, I mean, we all know that that's a job that Coach the Breeze uh, would love just because of his connection to Creighton. So definitely a a, a little a, a little win for Drake fans in that you know that's one job that he would not be going after at least at least for the time being because you know coaches sign those contracts and then change their minds but usually takes you know three four years before that changing of the mind happens <laughs> in other news Fran McCaffrey has declared he's not retiring for a long time so I guess Iowa stuck they have to stay with him yep <laughs> forever <laughs> um so, yeah, just wanted to make note of that. In other sort of Valley-related news, UMass just announced that they're leaving the A-10 for the MAC, which for me, as a basketball first fan, that would suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> you go from a top 10 conference to playing in the MAC because your football team wants to be. And I understand that I'm vastly oversimplifying this and that college f- football drives the bus for athletics and the income that it brings in but if you're a basketball fan and you like regional rivalries and tradition that's just gotta suck for you umass i mean i mean talk about a program that just they're like they were a nice program i mean john calipari like all the rivalries that they have with all those a10 teams and now they're just all right we're going to the mac let's get some action going yeah bizarre decision and i'm sure just really tough to hear for for the, the basketball fans i mean i guess if you want to be positive I, I i guess that makes them the best team in the mac <laughs> if you want to look at it from that standpoint or one of the best teams i should say like easily probably a top three top four team already so so i guess that's good but i mean you know like their rivalry against Bowling Green is historic. And I'm sure Northern Illinois fans can't wait to welcome UMass. Dude, you talk about hatred. I'm talking Central Michigan and UMass going at it. Like, that's <laughs> that's tradition right there. So, yeah, just odd. Like, UMass belongs playing in that conference. You know what I mean? So, definitely a weird one. Definitely one that's going to impact their basketball program negatively that cannot be helping get recruits excited and weird too because you know frank martin's a good coach you know yeah he's obviously currently their head coach led south carolina to the final four run and i thought he was doing a pretty decent job this year too uh so just odd and that means the a10 has the potential opening so obviously all of these alignment moves they, they have domino effects all of them hit other leagues if the a10 opts to fill that slot because currently the a10 is massive they have 15 teams with umass this would drop them down to 14. if they opt to fill that slot do they look at a valley school if they look at a valley school typically a10 profiled schools are smaller private located in major cities so you would think that looking at the valley maybe they reach out to drake if that were the case, Eduardo, I don't know what you think about that. I personally don't think that the A-10 is good enough to merit leaving. I know Loyola liked the move for them, but with the way that the college landscape is developing, the A-10 is a one to two bid league year in and year out. And if you're going to split that between 15 to 16 teams, if they do add two, which I've heard is a possibility, add in the 
travel budget, not just for basketball, but sending your women's tennis team to play in Rhode Island? Yeah, I don't love it. I thought about it a lot when I saw the news about UMass and I've seen some of the rumors going on on Twitter on could Drake be someone that the A-10 invites. I don't love it. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I think, you know, for starters, I'd say like when Loyola agreed to make that move, I think the A-10 was in a much better spot. I mean, I think they were just coming off. I can't remember if they had three or four teams in the tournament. Since then, like you said, they're just they've added too many teams, which has kind of watered down the conference as a whole. I don't love that aspect of it. And, you know, on the flip side, the MVC has I would argue has gotten stronger uh, since Loyola left. You know, I think adding Belmont and adding Murray State were were nice additions. I think those are two two really competitive teams, and they've shown it. You know, in these first couple of years, I think you know Belmont has been consistently top four, top six. Murray State has been top eight. They've uh, they'll continue to adapt to the MBC. Uh, and when I say that the NBC got better after Loyola left, what I mean is they added decent teams. And then you also have had, you know, the continued success of Bradley as a good mid-major. You've had, obviously, the success of Indiana State. So I think as it stands, like, you look at the Valley and you, you got Drake, you got Indiana State, you got Bradley. Fine, you got you and I, I suppose they'll the one day return to being better. Uh, but you also have Southern Illinois and Belmont and Murray State, as I mentioned. So I think the NBC has rounded out a very competitive conference. And I think when you compare it side by side to where it stands with the A-10, it's very similar. I think when you look at all the metrics, A-10 usually rounds out just a little bit ahead of, of the Valley. But still very possible that both conferences will only be a one bid league so is it a good move for drake to go to the a10 like i don't i don't know all the details about the tv revenue dollars and all that like obviously i don't have insight into what that looks like or or what have you but my gut reaction is it's too much of a lateral move in my opinion i think the one reason why you maybe would do it is because you would be banking on teams like a Dayton or VCU, who I would call, I safe to say, elite mid-majors, if you want to call them that. I mean, traditionally, those are two yeah. programs that are always going to be good. And then you've had Loyola, who had their success in the Valley. Uh, they've had a good year this year. So the reason why you would maybe do it is because you're banking on like the A-10 has two really established mid-majors that are always going to be there. And you're kind of counting on them to you. They're really good. And then if Drake's really good and then some others are really good, then maybe you get back to that three bid, four bid thing that they had going on. And it's just fallen off the last couple of years. Because as it stands, the Valley is the ninth ranked net conference. The Atlantic 10 is the eighth. And then yep. you got Wichita State and the American uh, rank <laughs> behind them both. <laughs> and you had to get that in. You had to bring in Wichita State into the conversation. <laughs> I just feel bad for him. You know, no one goes, no one knows what goes on in the American conference. So I'm just oh, trying to give them some dude, media coverage. Come on. They almost beat Temple in overtime yesterday. Come on. Oh, that, just, would have been, that would have been huge for them. Don't be so hard on them. They could have shocked the world. Um, <laughs> but what I actually think might be more interesting than the discussion about whether Drake would join the A-10 is if there is a fall off in A-10 membership, if some of their more centrally located programs 
might look to either either join the valley or create something new. I mean, I responded to Sidelines Drake on Twitter and just said, rather than splitting one to two bids between 15 and 16 teams, let's trade them Valpo for Dayton. Uh, that's a fair trade-off. I'd be on board with that. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I know Sleuth feels that the Valley is below them and they want to continue traveling to play at Fordham in front of 300 people. But they <laughs> just make... Back when Rick Majerus was their head coach, he would talk about how they should be in the Valley. And they just make so much sense as a they Valley do. school. And obviously they'd have home court advantage in Arch Madness every year. I saw another tweet from NW Raiders. And he said, if we're being all honest here, we need a formation of a new mid-major super conference. And then here's Ooh. the listed membership. Drake, Loyola, Bradley, UNI, Belmont, Dayton, SLU, Wichita State, VCU, Richmond, Davidson, and one more wild card. And, I like it. Yeah, so the formation of that conference does have the support of the Drake Basketball Podcast. Brian Harden, if you're listening, you don't need to reach out. You have our permission. I co-sign. I co-sign. Like I mentioned, that the A-10, man, they have so many teams. Like, that's the part that, how how is that going to shake out? Like, they have to drop some teams at some point. Like, it just doesn't really make sense. Like, and maybe can you're con- right. Maybe they just don't add anyone. Can conferences even do that? I can't think of an instance where a school has been expelled from a conference, at least in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> I'm sure they'd love to get rid of, you know, Fordham. <laughs> who, who are some other terrible schools? Duquesne. <laughs> Yeah, those are not those are not the the landmark programs of the A10. Definitely not this season. Uh, but you're you probably turn, right. When you turn on A10 games, a lot of times you'll see them playing in a Valpo type gym because there's such a disparity between the programs like Dayton, VCU, SLU, Loyola, and then, like I said, the Fordham Rams of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like and like I said, like VCU and Dayton, like. They have a tradition of being good, being good mid-majors. You know, th- those are teams that, that you want in your conference and that you know have a following and that you know they're going to invest. And then to a lesser degree, obviously, like Richmond and Davidson, like they've had good runs. And and I think that's where the conference as a whole has dropped off. It's been more the the second-tier programs in the conference kind of not doing their, their end of the bargain, and they've kind of become a little bit top-heavy. Uh, and even this year, it's kind of the same story. You have Dayton, Loyola, VCU, and Richmond kind of clearly above the rest of the conference. And then it just kind of dwindles into just mediocrity. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you see a program like UMass, which had reached a Final Four in the 90s with Calipari, and you see them essentially giving up on basketball. They they won't say that, and I'm sure their fans will spin it as like, no, we're going to become the Gonzaga of the Mac, and it'll be great. But <laughs> Essentially, it's giving up on basketball in hopes that this upcoming potential split between football and the rest of the sports is able to drive their school forward. And who knows, maybe they're right about that. But if that is the case, there's a chance that we may see some of that in the Valley as well, because obviously Missouri State is the most commonly rumored one, because everyone knows that they've been lusting after the Sun Belt Conference for the past 10 to 15 years at least. But what'll be interesting is if let's say the Missouri states, the Illinois states, the Northern Iowas uh, Mm -hmm. do end up trying to pursue that in one of these, 
middling basketball conferences where they like, hey, you know what, we're going to take the hit, we're going to drop to a shittier basketball league uh, in an attempt to bolster our third rate football program. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the schools that don't do that, because I think you could conceivably end up with a conference filled with schools like Drake that value basketball first, sort of like a miniature Big East. Right. Right. See what I'm saying? Because I'm not sure if I'm right. I know Butler has, you know, non-scholarship football as well. Does Dayton have non-scholarship football? Oof. If they don't, I think they do. They definitely used to. Uh, so I believe they do have, they used to play in the PFL with Drake. So I'm sure sidelines is screaming because, you know, he covers football and he's like, oh, how can you not know that the Dayton is still in our conference? Uh, but they definitely used to play them all the time. Uh, so they do have that in common. But I think there's an opportunity there. If the football schools decide to bolt, I think there's an opportunity for the good basketball schools that put basketball first to make something new. Yeah. But now the question becomes like, what about our tennis program, Tucker? Are you just going to pretend like we're not a good tennis school at Drake? Well, no, obviously Drake is the tennis school first and foremost. <laughs> exactly. It, I mean, it needed to be said. <laughs> dude, come on. The Roger Knapp Tennis Center is a palace. <laughs> and I saw that Drake actually just beat, oh, it was a lower level. Oh, Wichita State. They just beat Wichita State the other day. Well, yeah, because I mean, Wichita State doesn't win on anything anymore, so... We just got to pile on. Uh, they almost managed to pull off the upsetting at Charlotte the other day. What are they at? Like, seriously, I think they're like 3-13 and 13 in conference now. I think they're second to last in, in the vaunted American. So, yeah. Which just stayed having a rough one uh, this, this season. But this is not the Wichita State basketball podcast. This is the Drake basketball podcast. And the future is looking bright for our Bulldogs. I feel like we should just blanket ask the entire Drake basketball podcast fan base. Like, what would they say if you just yes or no, join the A-10, will you vote yay or nay? You know, without any, well, yes, but only if they get rid of a few teams or no, but blah, blah, blah. So just yes or no. No explanation. Just No explanation. Just yes or no. As you're listening to this right now, go to Eduardo and I's twitter pages and just respond yes or no in the replies will you accept an invitation and even better if you're an a10 fan and you happen to listen to this podcast do you want drake in your conference that one you can give me an explanation because it could simply be no i don't want them they're a good program i don't want to have to compete with them or you know what they're not big enough for us they're not they're not east coast enough for us That very well could be because I I know they uh, I saw one guy talking about how they struggle to fly out all the way to St. Louis for games. So (laughs) that's funny. All right. Well, that's all I got for you. Bardo, anything else? That's all I got. Go dogs. Let's get the win against UIC and get get back on our winning ways. All right. Let's do it. Go dogs. Go dogs.